Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I will read from verse 6 down through verse 13. Paul, the Apostle Paul reminds the Corinthian Christians that the testimony of Christ was, I'm sorry, I have the wrong chapter, that's chapter 1, not one, chapter 2, that's what makes sense to me. Okay, chapter 2, verse 6, Howbeit, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world, that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have it entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the depths, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual let us ask once more for God's blessing upon his holy word this morning. Our Father, we have sung that hymn which expresses the awesomeness of public worship, the awesomeness of hearing and of proclaiming the word of you, our God. We have expressed to you that we, we long to hear from you this day. We long to hear the word of God, to understand its teaching, to believe it, and thus to respond in faith and obedience. Give us help and grace, our Father. We are your creatures, and we are weak, and we are needy before you. So please draw near and bless us with grace and help and faith. We ask through Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Few things are more important to a true Christian than the question, how has the message of God's word, which I believe, been sent to me from God? Unconverted people, whether they know it or not, do not have that same deep concern 
Now has God made his word known to me because the hopes and the aspirations of the unconverted are not like the people of God. We want to know what God says and we, we, we desire to understand how God has made it known as his word. We often say this when we're reading our Bibles here publicly, the brother who reads will often say, this is God's word. It's not a needless repetition. It is addressing this desire of the people of God to know what the word of God is. I appreciate the prayer which has been often offered for me. Help our brother to rightly divide the word of truth. So how has it come to us? How has God given it to us? What are we to think of the way in which God has given the word of God to us? We read that, we read that in uh, 2 Peter this morning, just a few minutes ago, and Peter tells us, we did not devise cleverly, we did not give you cleverly devised myths, stories. We spoke the truth, and that's true of all the scriptures the Old Testament scriptures given by inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit, led men along. He carried them along to speak the things that they spoke. Well, these truths have very serious implications for life and eternity. The truths we receive from our Bible have an impact on the life we lead in the world. Again, that's the way we pray, and, and it's right that we should. We say, Lord, we want to live according to your word. So it's important for us to understand that we have the truths in the Bible by which we will lead our lives in this world to the glory of our God. It becomes especially important for each of us to understand this issue. And this has been a, uh, a burning issue, the question, how has the word of God come to us? And Paul is especially speaking now of himself, his fellow apostles, and how they have communicated, how they receive the word of God, and how they pass it on to us. Paul is showing in our text, as we have seen, the vast difference between the world's God's wisdom and this world's wisdom. The wisdom Paul speaks must not be confused with the world's wisdom. Paul was not just a very smart man who studied very hard and learned from philosophy and learned from experience the things that he should teach. That's not really the way in which Paul was able to give us the word of God from God himself. And what Paul is at pains to say this in the verses that we have read, that he is not speaking the wisdom of the world. He's not speaking the things that come from mere human wisdom. Paul was a very wise man. He knew it. He felt it. And it was not wrong. It was not conceited. Paul calls himself in this letter a master builder furnished by Christ with truth and gifts for the good of the church. But again, Paul is, is concerned 
to help the people of God at Corinth understand this is not worldly wisdom. And he continues on that theme by saying that this world, this wisdom that he has received, the wisdom that he speaks, is not wisdom that comes from human ingenuity, but only through the work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, we could, we could say that it was not even Paul's native ingenuity. And that's one of the things that comes out in the passage today very clearly, I hope. Uh, it should if I'm doing my job. It was not Paul's intellect. His intellect is ruled out as the sole source of the wisdom that he is communicating to the people of God. Now, Paul used his head. He used his mind. It wasn't that he was a robot. He wasn't a, 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 some kind of a cyborg that was being typed on. That's not the case, but he does make it very clear that both the Spirit of God is the ultimate source of the truths that he preaches and that his own mind is engaged in communicating those same things. It's very important for our understanding of the scriptures. And so this morning, uh, we just want to briefly remember that uh, what Paul has said about revealed wisdom in the beginning of verse 10, he stated, as we saw before in the prior sermon, that it is by the Holy Spirit. Verse 10 of our chapter, God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit. And there's something very appropriate to this, this agency of the Holy Spirit, only the Spirit can convey the mind of God. If God, by His Spirit, does not communicate to you, you will not know the mind of God. You will not know how to please God, how to glorify God, but God does. He provides His Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is able to convey the mind of God. And the way that Paul speaks of this, and we saw this last time, is that he searches. He makes a determined investigation. The Holy Spirit is said to search the mind of God. In fact, he is able to, uh, Paul says, to investigate all things, all things. He searches and he knows. He knows men's thoughts. He knows your thoughts, he knows my thoughts, he knows the secrets of our heart. But what is more profound than the Lord, the Holy Spirit, searching all of our minds and all of the minds of every one of the billions of individuals who exist on the earth this day, is that he is able to search the deeper thing, the very depths of God and Paul explains this by human experience. He reminds us that uh, we, 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 it's impossible for us to know the thoughts of another person unless that person speaks up and tells us what is on their mind. We don't have that supernatural ability to read minds, figure out even the people who are most closely related to us, uh, we cannot know what they think. They have to reveal it to us. In a similar way, 
Only the Spirit of God can know what God thinks. He's the only one who can know the mind of God. It is, uh, if it's impossible for us certainly to know the thoughts of men, how much can we, how much less do we know the thoughts of God? That's why we sing as we do, and we pray as we do for God to reveal himself to us by his Spirit. Well, all of this shows that if anyone knows God's wisdom, it's only because God makes it known by his Spirit. That's Paul's point. Thus, when God reveals his wisdom, Paul says it's a great mercy. Even for Paul, it's a great mercy. Some people uh, write books about Paul and things about Paul, and they say what a great mind Paul had. He had a great mind. It's true. But that's not why he knew the things of God. He only knew the things of God because the Spirit of God communicated. He says they are freely given to us by God. These gifts are from God's benevolent heart. Well, today we're going to look at verse 13. I don't, I don't too much with you uh, take a single verse for a sermon, but this morning I'm going to do that uh, because it's so critical to understand what Paul is saying here in verse 13. Which things? They are things freely given us of God, which God conveys by His Spirit. Which things also we speak? Not in words taught by man's wisdom. Not, by, not in the words which man wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So this is our text, and this is what we're looking at this morning, to understand how has God provided the truth which we read in our Bible, particularly from the lips of the Apostle Paul, true of all the apostles, it's true of all of the books of the, of the Bible, this is true of them all. But we're going to look at it, how it works out in Paul's experience. The actual outworking of these truths in the apostolic ministry. And the first thing we want to note is God's revealed truth form the exclusive content of the apostolic ministry. God's revealed truth form the exclusive con content of the apostolic ministry. What, what Paul has done, again, here, it's, it's fairly simple. The words are fairly simple, but they are very profound. Paul has said that the Holy Spirit, that God has freely given him, the things which, the, which are in the mind of God. And then he says, which things we speak. This is what we speak. The Spirit of God had been imparted to Paul and to his co-workers, and in this way, the divine wisdom became Paul's possession. Again, Paul knew it. Some people have asked the question, did inspired uh, men understand that they were inspired? Did they, did they understand it? Did they evaluate it that way? And even when you go back to the Old Testament, you find this phrase again and again and again. It, come, it leaks into our prayers, right? Thus says the Lord. We all, we all, I often hear my brethren praying for me, you praying for me. The Lord, uh, help him to be able to say, thus says the Lord. Well, I'm not inspired. <coughs> this I know. But Paul was inspired, and he wasn't able to say, the things that I am writing to you and the things that I am preaching to you are thus says 
the Lord, the Spirit of God, imparted to Paul the things which he was to speak and the things which his co-workers were to speak, God imparted to them. In this way, the divine wisdom became Paul's possession, and he knew it. He was aware of it. Now, some think of the apostles as if they only heard and wrote down the things which they had to pass on, like some kind of a spiritual secretary. Uh, sometimes uh, people think this way, and this did occur at times. Actually, when we with what we're studying in the evenings in the book of Revelation, the seven letters to the seven churches are dictated by the Lord to the apostle John. And again, John is aware. He is emphatically aware. He has seen the risen Christ in chapter 1. And uh, in chapter 1, though we don't, uh, we haven't been reading that part of it, he says, the Lord, he hears the voice behind him, and the voice says, write the things which you see. Write, write these things. So John is the secretary, as it were, of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that happens. But here Paul asserts the more common thing that the Holy Spirit communicated to Paul the things that he wanted him to say in the language which he wanted him to use. You see. And Paul asserts that this is almost always true. He was, he was taught it. He knew it. He believed it. And he proclaimed it. And this is what he preached and taught. It is the exclusive content of the apostolic ministry. And you might wonder when I use that word exclusive. It's, a, it's a, one of those words. Which a, it's a little bit of a big word. But really it is a very narrow concept. Right? It is his exclusive content. And you might wonder, well, how can you be sure that nothing which the Apostle Paul preached and taught under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was the content of his ministry, the exclusive content, the whole content? You might say, well, might he sometimes say something amiss? Might he sometimes say something which was not really what... God, the Holy Spirit, wanted him to say? Well, again, I'll give you some reasons why I say the answer is no. What Paul preached and taught, what he spoke, because that's the word he uses, right? And that covers both the preaching and the teaching and the counseling. Uh, there are three reasons why I say that this was the exclusive content of the episode ministry. First of all, this was required, you have to look at it this way, by the sense of gratitude and privilege which Paul describes and which Paul has. Paul realizes that everyone doesn't get this kind of a privilege. What he said just before our verse, he says, this is what the Holy Spirit did. This is what God did, that we might know the things which are freely given to us by God. He is declaring God's benevolence. 
And whenever God gives, we need to acknowledge. That's why we will go, some of us will go and sit down in the uh, kitchen later on today, and we will give God thanks for the food that he has provided. And I trust that you do that every time you sit down to a meal, and there it is, your food on your plate, and somebody, your father, your mother, one of the siblings, praise and thanks God because you have given us this food. Oh, I know your father worked, your mother worked. Uh, maybe even you worked. Maybe you had some hand in the cooking. But the food ultimately comes from God. And that's why we give thanks. And whenever God gives, whenever we have his benevolent goodness to us, we need to acknowledge it. We give thanks to it. And that's what Paul has been has been doing. He's been giving thanks. He's acknowledging it. We need to be uh, acknowledging it, to be grateful for it, and to use his gifts as he intended them to be used. That's what, that's the, uh, the response that we make to God's wonderful gifts. So Paul is aware. He's aware of what is being given to him, and he is grateful, and he uses God's gift of wisdom for the good of God's people. So this gratitude, you see, requires that Paul only use the word of God. Why would he, if he had... That kind of revelation, full revelation of God's mind by the Holy Spirit, as much as a man could have, why would he use anything else? He shouldn't. So that's number one. That's why I say it's the exclusive content of the apostolic ministry. But the second reason is the only other, what's the, what's the alternative? Well, the only other alternative is human wisdom. How many sources of wisdom indeed can it be? Can a man like Paul speak? It could only be either human wisdom or divine wisdom. Now, some of you, I bet you there's some mind in this room has said, oh, but there's another source, Mr. D. Uh, Brother Frank, it, it could be demonic. That's true enough. But it, would, it wouldn't be wisdom, would it? If it were demonic, it wouldn't be wisdom uh, but Paul, Paul doesn't even bother bringing it up because he's he's concerned about describing the apostolic ministry and it's not going to be demonic. It's either human or divine. And this is enough to make the contrast between God's wisdom and man's wisdom. Human wisdom, according to the Apostle Paul, is completely at odds with God. There's an inconsistency between human wisdom and divine wisdom. Now, I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't listen to your math teacher. I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't listen to your auto mechanic. If your car's making an odd noise, and my car evidently makes a lot of odd noises, but uh, go to the mechanic and listen to the mechanic. As long as he's honest, listen to him. He knows what to do with your car and how to fix your car. But when we're talking about divine things, not merely natural things, the choice 
It's between the wisdom of men or the wisdom of God. Let me suggest this to you by way of practical application. When you're reading a book, I had to read a lot of books this week about this passage. You have to ask yourself, whose wisdom is this? Whose wisdom is this? You need to pray and you need to be discerning. You need to ask that question. Whose wisdom is this? When you talk to your friends and they say, hey, you know what we're going to do? Don't tell your parents, but we're going to go here and we're going to do this. Ask yourself, whose wisdom is this? Should I be listening to these people? There's a wonderful illustration of this in the book of Joshua with the, with the Gibeonites. Uh, the Gibeonites were living in the land and Joshua and the Israelites were conquering the land little by little. And the, uh, the Gibeonites came because they were nearby and they didn't want the Israelites to war against them. So they came to them and they asked them, make a covenant with us. In other words, make an agreement. We're going to be friends, right? You're not going to fight against us and we're not going to fight against you. And they, the text tells us that after the discussion with the Gibeonites that the Israelites did it. They made a covenant with them, but they didn't ask the Lord. You know whose wisdom that was? That was human wisdom, not God's wisdom. And it, it by the grace of God, it turned out okay. But that was man's wisdom, the way man's wisdom operates. So the only alternative for Paul to say about, to tell you how he got the teaching which he gave to you, it's either God's wisdom or man's wisdom, Paul's wisdom, someone else's wisdom. And the choice must be God's wisdom. So that's the second reason why we know that the wisdom of God from the Holy Spirit it's the exclusive content of apostolic ministry, but there's a third reason. There's a third reason. There is a stigma attached to failing to speak the word of God when we truly possess it. There's a stigma. It's a thing uh, that gets you a bad reputation, a bad mark, as it were, uh, when you have God's wisdom, but you don't communicate God's wisdom. Turn over for a second to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 17. <laughs> the Apostle Paul, he lives in a day when he's not the only preacher. There are a lot of preachers who say a lot of different things. And Paul says that right here. He says, we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. You see, there were some men who peddled their ministry. That was true in the Old Testament. That was true in the New Testament. During the time that Paul was going around preaching, there were people who were selling the word of God. I said something recently to one of the deacons here. And I didn't realize I was going to be preaching on this when I said it, but I said it, and I mean it, I don't preach for money. I don't, I don't preach to get money. I'm grateful. 
when the brethren consider my needs. But that's not why I preach. There were people in Paul's day who were preaching, and the only reason they were preaching was to get money. And if, when that's what you do, you peddle the word of God. It should be God's word, but they sold their services. So they would say what people want to hear. Like the prophets of the Old Testament who told kings and nations what they wanted for a price. Jezebel had 450 prophets of Baal. How'd she get all of those prophets to say what she wanted? She paid them all off. And they didn't care. They didn't care whether the words they spoke were God's words or Jezebel's words. Just show me the money. That's what they said. So if you wanted your idea to be supported by the man of the cloth, they would accommodate you. And the world has many of these kinds of people. Paul would remember the Old Testament text which condemned the prophets and demanded that God's word be proclaimed. Please turn to Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah chapter 23, starting in verse 25. This is, a, this is what God thinks about men who peddle their ministry. Who, for money's sake, say what people want to hear. I have heard, says the Lord in verse 25, I have heard what the prophets say that prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall this be in the hearts of the prophets that prophesy lies? Yea, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart, which think to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams, which they tell every man to his neighbor, as their fathers have forgotten my name for Baal. The prophet that hath a dream, let him tell, the, tell a dream. And he that hath my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, saith the Lord? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that steal my words, every, every one from his neighbor. Behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that use their tongues and say, he saith, that's Jehovah. Behold, I am against them that prophesy false dreams, saith the Lord, and do tell them and cause my people to err by their lies and by their likeness. Yet I sent them not, nor commanded them, therefore they shall not profit these people at all, saith the Lord. When you have a chance to have a man in your pulpit, you want to be certain that the man is going to tell you what God's word says. Because, number one, it's not good for your soul. If you have a man telling you merely his wisdom and his opinions, and that man, if he's a prophet like this, if he's a man like this, like a man described in 2 Timothy 4, you know, it tickles the ears of the people. It's not good for him either. It's not good for you. So you want to be sure that the men who stand here and preach to you, preach God's word. 
the sad picture of those prophets that Jeremiah spoke about. And yet Jeremiah is told by the Lord. Though the people didn't want to listen to him, he said, tell them, don't, don't omit a word. It's Jeremiah 26, 2 and 3. I'm not going to turn there for time's sake. But they, the Lord tells Jeremiah, speak to the people. Don't omit a word. Perhaps they will hear and repent. So the question is not, am I sure I'm going to have success? Am I sure that people are going to listen and believe me and do what I want? No. Faithfulness to the Lord means when God gives you his word, you give his word. Nothing more, nothing less. Failing to speak God's word is an indication that a man does not have really, because that's the truth. He doesn't really know the truth. That's why Isaiah God says through Isaiah to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, God's law and God's testimony, it's because they have no dawn, they have no light. They have nothing of God's truth to tell. So, how could Paul speak something else? And the word that God that he knew God gave him to speak. That's why I say God's revealed truth formed the exclusive content of the apostolic ministry. Which things we speak. Secondly, the words used to communicate God's truth were inspired by God's spirit. That's the second thing that Paul says here in verse 13. Not in words taught by human wisdom. The words, the very words. The old theologians have a nice little sounding phrase, the epissima verba. The very words. Inspiration comes to at, at the point of words. So the words matter. And again, Paul distances himself from the way the popular speakers at Corinth spoke. Not in words, he says, taught by human wisdom. Even when speaking wisdom, when you might expect him to dress it up in philosophical terms, you might say, well, Paul, you know what? You, you, maybe you get people to listen to you more if you dress up your words with eloquence. Make it shine as much as possible. There was a poet who said that about his poetry. He said, when you're trying to write poems about, uh, to address cultural ills, you have to make your poem sparkle and make pretty tinkling sounds. Or else people are not going to hear it. They're going to vomit it. That's what he said. But uh, Paul again is saying, that he won't, he refuses to use the canons of philosophy and rhetorical skill in order to impress. He wouldn't do it. Why? But it's not that he couldn't. It's that he wouldn't. The choice of words, here's the bottom line, brethren, my friends. The bottom line is this, the choice of words did not belong to Paul. That's what he's saying here. 
They were not regulated by man's wisdom. Who chose the words? Well, what Paul's telling us is that they were chosen by the Spirit and taught to Paul. That's what he's saying. Notice the way that Paul expresses himself back there in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 in our text, verse 13. Here it is again. He says, which things we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. The Holy Spirit gives Paul the right words to speak. There are two kinds of teachers available to speakers. One group is men. They have their methods, which they appeal to. And they have their schools in which they teach men how to speak. They teach what they regard as the principles of effective communication. Those are the kinds of people who some men learn from. However, Paul tells us that he doesn't use that. The Holy Spirit also teaches. And he teaches, he instructs so that Paul may learn. Paul is not merely being told what to say. I'm, the, the Holy Spirit teaches him words, teaches him how to express the truth. But Paul does not mindlessly speak the words which he learns. He speaks the words which he's taught as the Holy Spirit instructs his understanding. They are at once and one same time, they are the Spirit's words and Paul's words because the Holy Spirit has told Paul what to say. Let me illustrate. When I was a little boy, uh, we had to learn the Gettysburg Address in the school four score and seven years ago, our fathers broke forth on this continent, a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. That's that's the part I remember, but I had to learn the, the whole thing. So suppose you had to learn it and you had to recite it and suppose for a moment that you had a lot of hard time getting it because it's not exactly modern English style. So, a lot of times in these plays, when men don't know their lines, they have at the front, I don't know if you ever noticed this, they're standing on the stage, and there's this shell on the front of the stage. You know what's happening is there's somebody in there holding a teleprompter or holding a, a cardboard with the words written big so that the person can read his lines because he doesn't know his lines. So he can say it, he can recite the Gettysburg Address without really knowing it. But if you not only memorized it, but also entered into the heart and mind of Lincoln, then you could speak it as one who was taught the speech. You knew it, but your heart is in it, you see. Now, many speakers today, many political speakers, don't believe the things they're saying. They speak them for profit. But 
what the Apostle Paul is saying is the Holy Spirit determined what he should say and what words he should use and taught him so that he knew the message and the message was in his heart. He loved the message. He proclaimed it. He knew that this is what the Holy Spirit wanted to say and he said it from a heart which was full of the words and the power and the love of the truth that he expressed. He felt this message. And so what Paul's telling us here in our text this morning, God's real truth formed the exclusive content of the apostolic ministry. And the words used to communicate God's truth were inspired by God's spirit and spoken by Paul. And the third thing that we have here is the most difficult part of the text. Paul's description of the things that the Spirit taught him and that he spoke. So, back in verse 13, he starts out by saying that it's his exclusive ministry, which things we speak. Secondly, that the Holy Spirit taught him both the message and the words, not in words which human wisdom teaches, but which the Holy, Spirit, Holy Ghost teaches. Now, the hard part, combining spiritual things with spiritual. This is the more difficult part of the text. There are two words here. There's the word comparing, and then there are spiritual and spiritual. It, actually, just three words. It translates into our English in how many words? One, two, three, four, five. There are actually, only three words in the Greek. First word, which is translated here, comparing, and then spiritual and spiritual. That's, that's the way it's written. The two words for spiritual have, have are the same root word with slightly different forms. And what happens now, brethren, I'm going to spare you a lot of tedious work because the commentators write a lot of different things about this and uh, some of them say we really don't we really don't understand what Paul's saying at all some of them admit that it's difficult to understand it is difficult to understand I mean let me cut to the chase and tell you exactly what I think the text is saying I'm fairly confident but I hope still humble enough to admit that I might not I might not have it exactly right this is Paul's description of the things the Spirit taught him that he spoke. The, the word for comparing can have that meaning. It also has another meaning of combining. It's, it's taking two things, and this is where the root idea of comparing comes in. in. It's when you, you're taking things, maybe, maybe, you're, uh, maybe you're making something, a stew of some sort, and you have various ingredients and you take the ingredients and you decide whether or not to put them in the pot. That would be comparing. It's also combining, which both of those ideas are in that, that one word, comparing, combining. I think combining is the right meaning and I'll tell you why. Because Paul says, not only is he comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. You see, that's where the two words spiritual come in. 
He's combining them. He's putting together spiritual things with spiritual things. And, and what, what does that really communicate to us? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I think. The Word of God is made up, first of spiritual things and spiritual things. The same kind of things. See? So that uh, it's wholly spiritual. There's no other factor. It's combining or comparing spiritual and spiritual. Uh, another illustration. Suppose you drive a Toyota. I know some people have Toyotas. Okay, so suppose you have a, a Toyota that needs some repair and uh, you and your mechanic are going to talk about it and you're going to say, look, don't give me aftermarket parts. Don't give me some other part. Give me original, O-E-M, original manufacturer parts. So in my new Toyota, I'm going to have a to Toyota parts that they put in the factory. And then I'm going to have Toyota parts that are put in by the repairman. So what have I got? I've got all Toyota parts. I've combined Toyota parts with Toyota parts. And I have nothing but Toyota parts. It's Toyota. This is the kind of thing Paul's saying. He says, I'm combining, comparing, combining spiritual and spiritual. So there's no human wisdom. It's purely spiritual. That's Paul's point. Paul is telling them, I'm assuring you that there is nothing foreign to the, in, in, uh, in the words that the Spirit of God has taught me and which I preach. By the direction of the Holy Spirit, Paul says, I'm putting spiritual things side by side so that I have completely spiritual. There's no mixing of human wisdom. This is what this agrees with context, which is why I think this is Paul's meaning. Now that might you might say that sounds a little vague to me, Brother Frank. Can you help me with a little bit more detail? Well, I'll try. The things which Paul is taught and which he preaches are the things that the Holy Spirit teaches. You get that? That's, that's the point, isn't it? Paul says, I'm not preaching human wisdom. I'm being taught by the Spirit of God to what to say, and that's what I'm saying. I'm only saying that. So what kind of things does the Holy Spirit teach? The Holy Spirit teaches the nature of God which we could never know apart from Revelation. There are a lot of things that people observe from nature. They see things, they see the sky. Now scientists can see inside the human cell. They do all kinds of wonderful things. It teaches them something about God. His eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen in the creation but you know what they can learn about God from nature for which they are accountable is not how to obtain forgiveness of sins. Nature doesn't teach that. The Spirit of God teaches that. The Spirit of God teaches what God is like. And that's what the Holy Spirit teaches Paul. That's what Paul preaches and teaches. 
he teaches, the Holy Spirit teaches about the works of God. Specifically, God's saving work through Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus told us when he was on the earth that the Holy Spirit speaks of me. The Holy Spirit shines the spotlight of truth upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit teaches. That's why Paul's ministry is so Christ-centered. That's why he goes from synagogue to synagogue to synagogue and he preaches the gospel because that's what the Holy Spirit teaches. And the Holy Spirit teaches about sin. He teaches how serious sin is. He convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And so those are the things that the Holy Spirit teaches Paul. And those are the things that Paul preaches and teaches. What Paul aims at in his preaching and teaching is that men and women, men and women boys and girls, should believe God's truth, should turn from their sins, and should look to the Lord Jesus in faith. They should glorify God with true worship and faithful Christian living. That's what the Holy Spirit teaches. Now you see, that's not the wisdom of the world. You're not going to find that in the movies. You're not going to find that in the magazines. You're not going to find that in blogs unless you get exactly the right ones, right? Men who love God and who use the media to glorify God and His grace. But this is the point Paul's making today. God's revealed truth formed the exclusive content of the apostolic ministry, number one. Number two, the words Paul used to communicate God's truth were inspired by the Spirit of God, down to the very words. And then Paul's description of the things the Holy Spirit taught and spoke combining spiritual things with spiritual things. And this has profound significance for us. These truths guard us from false, spiritual, damaging views of the scriptures. You want a good understanding of how the scriptures were given? What makes the word of God the word of God? Well, here it is in one simple sentence Paul tells us how he got to write the, the inspired scriptures some people have suggested that Paul uh, was uh, and other persons who were favored with religious insight had the truth revealed to them but then God left them to express it in the way in which it seemed right to them so they'll say oh yeah Paul heard the word of God, but when he wrote it, he wrote it as the word of man. But that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what Paul teaches. That's a dangerous view about how we got our Bible. And what people are trying to do is tell you that your Bible is not reliable and that the truth of God is not really there. And then what they'll do is they'll pick and choose and tell you which things really are the word of God and which things are not the word of God. If you ever hear somebody talking like that, run for your life because it is soul damning heresy. That's what it is. The Bible, down to the very words, each word is determined by God Himself. 
Again, Paul learned them. So he believed them. And he wrote them, believing them to be the word of God. And we must receive them in that way. So, we can trust our Bible to be the very word of God. And when the brethren stand up and read it and say, this is the word of God, that's what it is, brethren, because of what Paul has taught us. But also, what this teaches us is that we cannot regard the words of Paul, indeed any words of Scripture, as the mere product of one man's cultural prejudices. Now I know people who say that they are Christians who say this kind of thing. They say, well, you know, Paul was a man of his times. Paul, uh, Paul was a male chauvinist pig. People say that kind of disgusting thing. Paul was just a man who, who believed that women were unimportant. That's not the way Paul was. You read Paul's letters, you see Paul's actions. It's not the kind of man he was. He believed that women were image bearers, created in the image of God just as much as men. Just as much. Just as much dignity. Just as much value. Just as much worth. Image bearers. He made them male and female. He made them in his image, male and female. Paul understood this. So what Paul writes, regardless of what you might think about particular things he says, he writes by the inspiration of God, not from his cultural prejudices. See, people say, times have changed. We've got to change with the times. That's why churches will have women pastors. Because they think that times have changed. They're not going to get that from the Bible. They're not going to get that from Paul's letters to Timothy. But we don't look at our Bible and say the times have changed. Paul was a man in his times. No, Paul was a man taught by the Spirit of God what was good for the churches in all the ages. So we need to remember that. We remember that. We need to remember that. It's the word of God by the spirit of God. You can't try to make man better than God and say, well, what God taught Paul to say is not good for us. No, God has given us what's good for every generation. We must not despise God and dishonor, dishonor him. But we will pay a price. So what should preaching be anyway? What should preaching be? And again, watch out for people who say, yeah, preaching used to be good, but people won't listen to preaching anymore. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. And I'll say something else. The only thing I care is that people who despise preaching may well end up in the wrong place when they go before God. Preaching should not be merely what people want to hear. People want to hear how good they are. Our culture 
has piled up that tripe high on the plate and is stuffing it down our ears. You're good. You're really good. There's a whole website of cards that you can use for birthday cards and various occasions. And the message of most of their cards is you are good and important and the whole world revolves around you. I got news for you, it doesn't. And you're not. The wonderful, good person that all those people are saying, preaching is not intended to simply chuck you under the chin and send you home saying, wow, I really feel special. No, is intended to glorify God through Jesus Christ. That's what preaching is to be. That's why Paul told Timothy, preach the word in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all patience and long suffering. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, will heap to themselves teachers after their own desires, turning and turn away from the truth. You don't want a ministry which is only going to tell you what you want to hear, but a ministry that tells you the truth, the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the only suitable Savior, and you should put your trust in him. Let's pray. Amen. Our Father and our God, we bow before you and we give you our hearty, sincere thanks that you have given us your holy word. It is, as we have sung, that chart and compass that all our life searching sea through rocks and mists and quicksands still guides, O Christ, to thee. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that gifted men like the Apostle Paul and the other writings of Scripture that we might have the Word of God in its purity. We thank you for it. Help us, our Father, to be faithful to your Word. Help us to read it reverently and consistently. Help us to believe it and to do it. Look, look at us, Lord. Look at our sins. Look at how weak our hearts are. How easily they are turned aside their attention to other things and have mercy upon us. Forgive us our sins, our Father. And please send us your Holy Spirit. Uh, we don't expect to be inspired, but we do want to be illuminated. We do want to be instructed. We do want to learn your Holy Word to, in order that we might love you and worship you and obey you. Please help us. This day, thank you for what you have given us as our portion this morning. Continue with us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.